when Jesus had entered, he said to them, Why do you make a commotion and weep? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. Then he put them all outside and took the child's father and mother and those who were with him and went in where the child was. He took her by the hand and said to her, Halithakum, which means little girl, get up. Please pray with me. Dear God in heaven, we ask you, as we always do, to be here with us this morning. And we trust that you have kept your promise and are here with us. May my words be your words and all of our thoughts your thoughts. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. There is a contemporary worship song, at least contemporary as I normally use the word contemporary, which means it was written like 30 years ago. So I should probably put it in air quotes. There's a contemporary worship song uh, written by a musician named Matt Redman called The Heart of Worship. Some of you may know this song. It begins like this. When the music fades and all is stripped away and I simply come. And then, skipping to the chorus, it goes, I'm coming back to the heart of worship, and it's all about you. It's all about you, Jesus. Now, I have some minor theological issues with some other things in the song, and it can get pretty cheesy pretty fast, but I've been thinking about these words a lot over the last few days as I thought about this sermon because it seems like the whole world is like swirling out of control. If things outside these four walls weren't enough, and they are, border issues, Supreme Court rulings, and vacancies, and on and on, think about just what we've got going on within these four walls this morning. We've got baptism, we've got Fourth of July special music, We're thinking about and praying toward calling an interim rector. We've got four different selected readings, including this gospel story, which is really two stories pressed together into one. What's a poor preacher supposed to preach about? (laughs) Politics? Baptism? Freedom? A woman who's been bleeding for 12 years? Jairus? Jairus' daughter? I even thought of building a sermon around the prelude this morning, Aaron Copeland's fanfare for the common man, and saying that we're all common men, sinners in need of Christ's saving work. Actually, that's a pretty good idea. I might still do that. Stay tuned. But first, I decided to follow Matt Redman's advice about the heart of worship. When the music fades and all is stripped away, it's all about Jesus. You came here this morning with your world swirling. Maybe you're here as a last resort. Maybe what's happening for you outside these four walls is threatening to be too much. So this morning, Because of that, it'll be all about Jesus. I know you're shocked. Shocked! You came to church 
and you're going to hear about Jesus. But as we'll see, it really is all about Jesus. In our gospel reading from Mark chapter 5, we've got Jesus having these two intertwining interactions. One with a very sick woman and one with a dead little girl. But the girl's not dead at the beginning of the story, is she? No. Our story starts with Jairus, the girl's father and leader of the synagogue, coming to Jesus in a panic. His life, like ours, is swirling all around him. He doesn't know what to do. His beloved daughter is dying. And so he falls at Jesus' feet, having heard that Jesus can heal the sick with just a touch, and Jairus begs Jesus to come, come to see his daughter. She is on the point of death. And so Jesus sets out. This is the last chance. Jairus's daughter is in her last moments. But as Jesus is on the way, we get this second interaction. As Jesus is on the way and the crowd is pressing in all around him, a woman touches him. This woman who has been bleeding, who has been hemorrhaging for 12 years. And she's just as much of a disaster as Jairus. We read that she had, quote, endured much under many physicians and had spent all she had, and she was no better, but rather grew worse. So she's struggled under the care of doctors who either weren't that good or weren't able to help her, and she has no money left for any more help. This is her last chance, too. She and Jairus are both at the very end of their rope. And who is there? When the music fades and all is stripped away, there is Jesus. When you're on your last chance, your last gasp of breath, when you're clinging to the knot at the bottom of your rope, after all the doctors, all the medicine, all the work, all the striving, all the advice, even after all the thoughts and prayers, in the midst of the great crowd of things that will fail you, there is Jesus. My friend John Zoll says that Jesus' office is at the end of your rope. Jesus' office is at the end of your rope. That's certainly true for this sick woman. She's tried everything, and not only has it not helped her, it's made things worse. And it's true, too, for Jairus. His daughter is at the point of death. And then... The tragic news arrives. She is dead. And who is there for this man and this woman and this little girl, all of whom are at the very end of their rope? Jesus is there. Daughter, 
Your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. Talitha kum, little girl, get up. When everything else had failed the bleeding woman, when Jairus was completely out of options, they both believed that Jesus was the only one who could save them. They threw themselves at his feet, bringing nothing but their need. And they were right. Jesus was there to save. There's a version, a a scriptural translation that I sort of like that is a little squeamish about this woman who's been bleeding for 12 years. Our version that we read from this morning is blunt. She was hemorrhaging. But the version that I grew up with as a child, I always thought was a little bit funny because it said that she had a 12-year issue of blood. Now, that's not only a little less gory, but it allows me to do a really lame preacher thing and gives me an easy way to tell you that you're just like her. You may not be bleeding, but you've got issues too. It's okay to groan at this point. (laughs) Who here would be willing to raise their hand and claim that they don't have issues? No one. I've seen all your Facebooks. Just like last week when we talked about the thorn that God put in Paul's side, that Paul begged and prayed about this issue that he could not overcome, this week the woman has exhausted every avenue of treatment available to her. And God is telling her the same thing that he told Paul. In your weakness... I will be shown strong. And she reaches out, and perhaps with her very last ounce of strength, leaving her in complete and total weakness, she touches the hem of Jesus' robe. And in that moment, at the point of that touch, she has nothing left. But Jesus has everything. Jairus' daughter has nothing left either. She's literally dead. But Jesus has everything. And it is in that moment when we have nothing but believe that he has everything that we are healed too. And Jesus says to us, to you, Little one, get up. When we have nothing and believe that he has everything, we are healed. Jesus has everything for you. We are the bleeding woman. Our issues, no matter what they are, threaten to overwhelm us. And actually, that's not enough. They're not just threatening. Our issues do overwhelm us. (laughs) And you know what? Issues isn't really enough either. Let's call a thing what it is. Our sin is what overwhelms us. Our 
failure to be who God has called us to be. The things done and left undone. Our sin is what drowns us. Our sin is what brings us to the point of death like Jairus' daughter. And then our sin actually kills us. St. Paul says we are dead in our trespasses and sins. Our sin, this basic posture of thinking first and foremost about ourselves, is what kills us. To illustrate this, this self-centeredness that leads to death, I want to read to you a a section of Tom Wolfe's amazing book, The Right Stuff, which tells the story of the American space program, which started as an outgrowth of the Air Force test pilot program at Edwards Air Base in the deserts of California in the early 1950s. So these pilots were testing brand new aircraft that had never been flown before, some of which worked well and some of which didn't. For a frame of reference, in 1952 alone, 62 Air Force pilots were killed in only 36 weeks of training. 62 pilots killed in 36 weeks of training. So here we go from Tom Wolfe's The Right Stuff. In those planes, which were like chimneys with little razor blade wings on them, you had to be, quote, afraid to panic. And that phrase was no joke. In the skids, the tumbles, the spins, there was truly only one thing you could let yourself think about. What do I do next? Sometimes at Edwards, they used to play the tapes of pilots going into that final dive, the one that killed them. And the man would be tumbling, going end over end in a 15-ton length of pipe with all the aerodynamics long gone and not one prayer left. And he knew it. And he would be screaming into the microphone. But not for mother or for God or the nameless spirit of Ahor, but for one last hopeless crumb of information. I've tried A, I've tried B, I've tried C, I've tried D. Tell me what else I can try. And then that truly spooky click on the machine. What do I do next? And everybody around the table would look at one another and nod ever so slightly. And the unspoken message was, too bad. There was a man with the right stuff. There was a man with the right stuff. But it wasn't enough. Now he's gone. He's dead. And Paul wants to make a similar claim about you and me, dead in trespasses and sins. He means we have nothing to offer. We are Jairus' daughter. We are that pilot. We've tried everything, A, B, C, and D. But we crashed, and we're dead. And there is a truly spooky click on the machine. And then Paul says two amazing words. 
but God. And as the bleeding woman and Jairus' little girl found out, but Jesus. Jesus speaks into our nothingness, speaks into our death, and says, go in peace, be healed of your disease. Little girl, get up. Notice that a pilot with the right stuff doesn't call out to God. That would be some kind of admission of weakness. If you've got the right stuff, you're just looking for something else to try, some way to win on your own. But only God actually saves the dead. That's why Paul says, but God. You were dead, but God. God's power is made perfect in weakness. God brings life out of death. You were dead in trespasses and sins, says Paul, but God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. The bleeding woman and Jairus' little girl had nothing left. But Jesus had everything and is rich in mercy. By grace, we have been saved. This is what Paul means when he writes to the Corinthians that he resolved to know nothing while he was among them but Christ and him crucified. There is nothing else. Christ and Christ crucified is the only thing that saves. When the music fades and all is stripped away and you have nothing left, Christ has everything. He is everything. Christ and Christ crucified is Everything. So now we return to fanfare for the common man. Indeed, we are common. All of us, you and me, the bleeding woman, Jairus, Jairus' daughter, every single one of us dead in our trespasses and sins. There is nothing more common than that. Here's how St. Paul describes our commonality. He says, all are under sin. As it is written, none is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. That's the bad news. We're dead. But we are common in another way, too. If anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And he is the perfect offering for our sins, and not for ours only, but for the sins of the whole world. That's from John's first letter, chapter 2, the first two verses, and it is the good news. It's one of the set of four comfortable words that we say after the confession and absolution every single week. 
We say it every single week because every single week we find ourselves just like the woman bleeding for 12 years. We find ourselves just like Jairus' daughter at the very end of our ropes with nothing left. We are the pilot who tried A and tried B and tried C and tried D and have nothing left to try. But when the music fades and all is stripped away and we have nothing left, we don't get the spooky click on the machine. We don't need the right stuff. For us, there is good news. For us, not even death is the end. For us, there is Jesus. Christ and Christ crucified. Jesus who has everything and by his death, his death, not ours, gives it all to us. We have a resurrected Redeemer who speaks a life-giving word into our deaths, into your death, right now. Little one, says Jesus to you, get up. And in him, we are made new. Amen.